Welcome in. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com. I'm Chad Brendel. Joined for one final time, at least in terms of uh, the 2017 football season by Dave Simone. I'm sure as we uh, get close to the first and second signing day, we'll have more, uh, plenty more on what's going on on the recruiting front. As uh, here in the next couple of weeks, we'll bring in Shane Kinney and talk about the official visit weekends that start this weekend. Um, yeah, there were four here for the Connecticut game, but I hear the number is going to be uh, quite a bit larger than that here in the coming weeks. Uh, but first off, uh, before we really, really dive into Crosstown Shootout Week, Dave and I wanted to uh, get a podcast to kind of put a lid on the 2017 season, uh, get the, the, the arrow pointed not only towards recruiting, but uh, spring football. And uh, kind of just wash our hands of uh, what was another rough four and eight season for the second year in a row. And uh, Dave, uh, do you have any opening thoughts on the 2017 season that don't need to be drastically censored by beeps? <laughs> uh, no, I do want to say that I I think it's nice that UC has a couple games before their highly anticipated matchup with Florida. So, you know, because that's what the one that everyone's looking forward to the most, I would think. Are you talking basketball? But, uh, yeah, I mean, they've got a game Saturday and then the Florida game. So, I mean, (laughs) the weather's supposed to be nice Saturday, so get your work done outside so you don't have to do it during the Florida game on the night. Oh, you're funny. But I digress. Um, the 2017 season, let's see. If we look back at the beginning of the year, I believe I gave a wishy-washy prediction of 5-7, and seven, maybe 6-6. Six and six. And, I mean, that turned out to be close. I think the, the main thing that I think, and I don't think anybody could have envisioned this, like, the main thing I took away from it was, you know, playing UCF team that's undefeated, number 14 in the country now, playing the South Florida team that, you know, went whatever they went, 10 and 1, 10 and 2, 10 and 2, 10 and two. Uh, 9 and 2, because they didn't, they had a game right. canceled. Right. So, um, you know, even in a win, Tulane, I think, ended up being a little bit better than we thought. They should be going to a bowl game, if not for their own league officials, which is just the most AAC thing ever. Yeah, screw one of your league teams out of a bowl game. That's uh, it's a good look. Just, yeah. Um, SMU, better than – and I, had, I think I had kind of given that a toss-up and actually maybe even picked SMU at the beginning of the year, but – I think that outside of playing Memphis, I mean, maybe kind of skated at the end of the towards the end of the season, but I think their schedule ended up being more difficult than we probably would have thought going in. I'd agree. Um, and while the optics of some of the games, most notably Marshall and UCS, aren't good or weren't good, I should say, I think it's just like. It crystallized that the roster just isn't very deep. Um, because last year, I think we've talked about that. I think I think it's easy to say last year's senior class was much better than this year's senior class. In terms of overall talent, I'd say that would I think that would hold up. I mean, you had you know a, a, a veteran running back like this year, but you you had a guy in the nickel that has on a practice squad in the NFL, and Mike Tyson. You had uh, a middle linebacker starting, that's in the NFL. You're starting center. You're starting yeah. center. Um, you also had a, a guy that played all, started all but what, or played in all but what, two games in his entire UC career, and Zach Edwards uh, anchoring the secondary. Um, yeah, I, I think I would agree with that. So, because last year – whether it was the players, was the staff, or both, they 
mailed it in on several occasions. Let's just be honest about it. And I don't think this team did that at any point this year. I just think that they just didn't have enough dudes. And I think as the season went on, yeah, with some of his comments, not ever single-handedly or calling anyone out, I think Coach Fickle kind of alluded to that as well. Um, but it still doesn't make up for some some issues that I felt were persistent throughout the whole year that had nothing to do with the roster. And those are kind of some things that I'll be looking for next year to see if that stuff changes. Yeah, I mean, I think I wrote about it uh, last week. I mean, I don't think there's a pass for anybody because you don't get free passes. Like, yeah, we we knew this year was going to be rough. There were some things that I liked that I saw from this year. I liked that the team did continuously fight and, and didn't ever really, you know, throw in the towel and just you see people, you know, the entire sideline has their heads down and uh, the demeanor of everybody is just kind of, ah, screw it, we'll be back out here next week. Um, I like that part of it. There were some things I didn't like. Uh, I, there were some things on offense that I thought, you know, <coughs> sorry, I've got a, uh, a bit of a sinus issue that has been lovely because of this weather. Uh, oh, yeah. It's, it's been great. Great and I've got, as well. I've got a skinny podcast tomorrow. I'm on with Mo tomorrow from 4 to 4.30. Um, my voice is going to be a disaster by the end of this week. But, um, you know, there's some stuff offensively. Like, if you know <coughs> if you know that you don't exactly have <coughs> guys that are just going to streak down the field and take the top off the defense, you've got you've to scheme. You, you've got to be better at, at getting guys in open space and being able to create some, some abilities and create some, some offense. And I, I didn't see a lot of that. I'd like to see more of that going forward. Um, you know, I, I think there's stuff on both sides, be it talent and be it coaching, that, that are open for discussion. No, I I agree with that. And, and it's hard to armchair quarterback. I know there's a, you know, there's a couple things, you know, I can just use, like, especially against ECU, just playing so much off coverage. And, you know, I'm sitting here thinking, why aren't they pressing? Well, if the coaching staff doesn't think they can play press because they can't get – they didn't get a very consistent pass rush this year, only had, I want to say, like 13 or 14 sacks, then if you're not getting the pass rush, then it doesn't benefit you to play press. You play off and you try to get them to complete, you know, in front of you and come up and make the tackle. They didn't do that very well that game, obviously. But, I mean, those are some of the things that I think fans get frustrated with. I think, you know, the slow starts is something that I just understand all year because you come out at the beginning of the game and can't do anything in at least half of the games. And you put yourself behind the eight ball, and then in the second half of the game, whether it's a different plan, guys executing, the defense from the other team can obviously change if they're up, you know, a considerable amount. But, like, you look like a totally different offense in the second half in several games. Why, you know, why is that? You know, we always hear about scripting plays. Well, why every game almost didn't seem like the scripted plays were the least successful drives of the entire game. Yeah, I, I will say there is there is some good in that, and that I think that they adjusted well. I think in-game I thought you saw adjustments being made, and I thought you saw them start to exploit things that they weren't able to exploit earlier in the game. But absolutely, if, if your first 15 plays are scripted and you go three and out on your first four drives, the script doesn't look good. <laughs> Yeah, you're not, pick, you're not picking the right plays. Correct. I think, you know, but I will say, like, I know, you know, there's there's a lot of angst, and I've, I've made these points on the board about, 
why wasn't, you know, well, they're not making this change, or they're not making that change. Well, if you looked, I mean, they made changes at seven or eight of the 22 positions. Yeah. I mean, they, they weren't afraid to make change, but they, they weren't going to make a change just to make a change. They were only going to make that change if they thought it was for the betterment of the team going forward. Or if it, you know, if it made them better on Saturday. And, I mean, I respect that from a coaching staff that they were more than willing to make those moves. Um, maybe it wasn't the move that, you know, you specifically as a fan wanted to see made, but there were moves made. I mean, and there were guys, you know, Mike Boone is a senior captain on this team, and he had his role reduced pretty significantly while Jared Dokes was healthy. Yeah. It was good to see him come back those last two games and play well. You know, well, not ECU, nobody played well. But, you know, in the UConn game, to see him play well and to see him go out on a high note. But, you know, they, they did that to him. They, they did it to Grant Coleman as well. Yeah, they did I don't it. think we saw him in the last four or five games of the year. Well, they did it. I don't know the last – I mean, if he got snaps at safety, they were few and far between. I think they did that with Malik Clemens, too. Malik Clemens, yeah, because we saw uh, Murphy a lot there. Yep. So, I mean, yeah, I agree with that. I think – you know, the ECU, the ECU game was definitely kind of a, I don't even know if eye-opener is the right word. But just, I mean, they were terrible defensively. It was shocking. All year. And shocking. to not be able to do anything for the, you know, majority of the game, just, you know, kind of sets you back a bit, wondering, like, what was going on? Is this... All you can know, I, can't can possibly a, be all players, and it's never all coaching. But like, just that for a theory. Yes, I think that was a case of, and you have a guy in Robert Prunty that was here that was very familiar with what this team had offensively because he faced it every day. Right, and he knew if you press those wide receivers, they can't get open. And that's exactly what they did. I mean, I he think, had the blueprint for that. I don't think you necessarily have to have coached at UC to see that. I think no, but I mean, he knew that like as a as a intimate knowledge. Like we didn't see a lot of other people do it the way that ECU did it. Yeah, correct. I mean, he just had that in his mind. You could tell they came out from the start and said, "We're going to challenge you, and you guys aren't going to be able to get open on us." And they weren't right. <laughs> So I, I think that's an angle that maybe people haven't talked about, that that's, you know, the advantage maybe that they had in that game is he just knew if you challenge these guys, they don't have the speed to beat you over the top. They don't have the speed to get by you. And, I mean, I that, more than anything to me, Dave, especially in this league, if you're slow at the skill positions, namely – Wide receiver, cornerback, safety, outside linebacker, and and I think outside linebacker is probably the 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 least of the concerns on the list because you do have a little bit of speed there, um, from the you know from Perry Young and and Tyrell Gilbert, and then later in the year we saw Jarrell White. Um, I think you had some speed there, but wide receiver, corner, and safety. I, you know, we had we heard four years of speed, speed, speed at the skill positions, and we're recruiting the South because that's where the speed is. Week after week, those position groups just look slow. Yeah, I agree. Um, I just think that you know it'll be it'll be interesting because we've seen some similar situations where. Coaches have taken over, you know, you can use Willie Taggart kind of an example at Western Kentucky in South Florida, and that first season's really bad. And that second season is better, but there's not like a huge jump. But that third season is where yeah, there's kind of been like a skyrocket. I mean, you could talk about Central, Central Florida, too, going from 0-12 to 6-6 to 12-0. Um, I think Scott Frost is a really good coach, and I think that roster wasn't an 0-12 roster. But um, but it'll be interesting to just see where this jump goes next year, because I do think they'll be better. I think they play a a lighter schedule. 
um, you know, with, but, um, but yeah, I mean, we've got a lot of work to do. I mean, I shouldn't say they, they have a lot of work to do this off season, whether it's for, it's for recruiting with transfers, things like that. I mean, there's some pretty, I think there's some pretty big gaps that they need to get filled up. Um, I would ask you from when we talked, you know, preseason, where would be your biggest surprises uh, positively and negatively from what we kind of thought going in? I would say pass rush was definitely maybe my biggest disappointment. Um, some of that, I think you can accredit to Brian Wright uh, and his injury, um, not being able to mature and grow into the impact type player that we thought he was going to be rushing the passer. Um, they, they're just, and then, and and I agree with the move because I, I think it helped solidify kind of a position in flux. But when you moved Cortez Broughton outside, then you took away, I don't want to say take away because I also want to give Lyndon Johnson some credit. I thought he did a very nice job. He did. Um, over the last four or five games when he got a chance to show himself a defensive tackle. But you just never, they, they, they're not explosive on the edge. And, and defensively, that, you know, the, anymore, it's about getting to the quarterback on defense. And, David, I know you probably noticed this as much as I did. Everybody said, well, why didn't they blitz? Why didn't they blitz? They blitzed a pretty significant amount. Yeah. And got swallowed up in the offensive line almost every time it happened. Now, is that is that scheme? Is that talent? Um, I don't know the the correct answer to that. But it, you know, I didn't see a defense that that was sitting back and and rush you know, like we saw last year. What it looked like to rush three or rush four and have eight in coverage. I didn't see a lot of that. Yeah, I saw a lot of of trying to get after the quarterback and just not getting home. So, you know, I don't know what the the, the correct answer there is. I, I think they want to be aggressive. Um, you know, maybe uh, Marcus Freeman and that defensive staff can sit down in this offseason and kind of take a look and say, you know, this is what we thought we were going to be getting into and this is what it ended up and maybe we need to, to tweak this or move that. Um, I think there's a lot of soul searching to be done, like I said, both from the staff and the players. But I – I just I I thought there would be more pressure from the front four than what they got, and it didn't happen. Um, they were good at tackle. I mean, if you look at the numbers, um, I think Austin did a great great job this year, providing the the stats from Pro Football Focus that showed, you know, Marquise Copeland was fantastic on the inside, uh, one of the best run stoppers in the conference, and we thought Johnson held himself very well when he was put in there, and Broughton was good when he was there. But, and I, and, you know, teams hurt them in the running game to the outside. Yeah. That leads you to believe, you know, defense, defensive ends weren't always setting the edge where it needed to be set. And, and guys were able to get outside at a, at a clip that they shouldn't have been able to get outside. So not only was it the pass rush not getting up the field, but the run defense didn't get up the field. No, I, I agree with, the, with that assessment for the position group, because I remember talking about how there were defensive ends that needed to step up that had been with the program now, and they're going to need to be counted on. And, you know, guys like Mark Wilson, Kamani Fitz, uh, we didn't really get anything out of either of them. Uh, Muhan had a decent Mu- year, but... I thought Muhan had a pretty good year, especially the second half of the season. Yeah, but I agree. still, like, he didn't, he didn't flash sack ability um he was i think he was a sound defensive end but yeah i mean from the standpoint of where this league is and where this team needs to go i mean pressure on the quarterback is everything um so i would agree with you as that being not so much the line as a whole but just the lack of pressure and the lack of impact from from the line um my surprise in a good way i think would be and 
a little weird to say it this the way I kind of feel about the position group as a whole, but I thought the offensive line, and especially in pass protection, based on what we discussed earlier, you know, early in the year, would have been a surprise. I thought the tackles, for the most really part, good. played really well. I agree. Um, but then you that almost cancels out because the interior line, especially in the run game, was just abysmal. Um, I mean, yeah. there's no reason on so many third and fourth and shorts for them to not get any push. And I know they're all a bunch of try-hard guys, but and when we talk about, you know, when you critique, we're not talking personally. I don't know any of them, so I'm not talking about them personally, but you're starting three walk-ons. And I don't know what that says about them. I don't know what that says about the unit as a whole, but they were overmatched most of the time on the interior offensive line. I would agree. I think we're in lockstep on those, both the defensive line and the offensive line. Uh, I, I thought uh, for as much question as there was, if he could move from right to left and what he would look like and, and left tackle could be a liability for this team, Corey Cunningham had a phenomenal senior season. He's, I mean, I've, I follow this, the NFL and the drafts pretty closely. He's getting drafted. I think so, too. Um, and I don't know if anyone really could have said that last year. I mean, he, I cannot see – a, a way that he doesn't when you look at the NFL and the issues that several teams have with offensive line play I just he he played well enough I think to get drafted yeah he had a great year and a lot of the success they had running the ball was was over him you you hardly ever saw a defensive end beat him in pass protection um I, I just thought he really really made himself uh, into something, you know, when you talk about a guy that came in as a 230-pound tight end. He made himself into somebody that had a a very successful career at Cincinnati. And and I don't think anybody really even mentioned Kendall Calhoun, which a lot of times for an offensive lineman is a good thing. But you didn't see many many issues on that right side, uh, on the outside in terms of pass rush uh, and things like that as well. I thought – you know, for for the question marks that were there on him coming into the season, um, I don't think he quite had the season that Big Country did, but he still had a really good year at right tackle. No, oh, I agree. I mean, I don't. I'm sure if you went back and watched every you know pass drop back, there'd be several. But I mean, just outside of maybe against Michigan, was there ever a time where it was just like a free run to the quarterback. Like the defense then made a very basic move and, you know, was at the quarterback. Right. I just don't remember that happening really. And I think, you know, the, the good news on that is one testament to both of those guys for the development they made. And two, the other thing we heard coming in was that Ron Crook was an excellent teacher and was able to get guys up to speed to what he wanted very quickly and I think we saw that with this offensive line unit. I, I think Coach Crook did a phenomenal job with them this year. I agree. And I I think they will be a much bigger and stronger group uh, next year. They, it'll be interesting to see what happens replacing the two tackles that had, you know, pretty darn good years. But I think as a whole – uh, they should be – I'm anticipating them to be a stronger group next year. I agree. I know – I mean, uh, I broke the other day on the site, Monday on the site that um, – or Saturday on the site that Garrett Campbell would be back for a sixth year, um, that he had gotten a medical uh, hardship, and that he would be returning. That gives them somebody inside. Uh, you have to think Kyle Trout uh, at one of the tackles and probably Blake Yeager from the way the – Depth chart shaped up throughout this year. We'll get uh, the first swing at one of the other tackle spots, unless you know you see a 
a grad transfer or somebody like that brought in. Um, interior, you're going to have Campbell. I would think Keith Miner um, would would move back into that starting rotation uh, after kind of rotating in and out with Campbell throughout this year. Uh, you would think one would go to right, one would stay at left. And then I know everybody in the program from the day he got here has been very excited about the potential and the future of Jakari Robinson at center. I so, think I think there might be a player not currently on the roster that's in that starting five. They are. I'm not going to disagree. They are, just put it, actively searching for, you know, an older offensive lineman, whether that's a whether that's a grad transfer or a junior college player. Um, they are definitely they're for our, our regular listeners of both podcasts. They are taking the 2018 Mick Cronin point guard search <laughs> on the AAU scene to the junior college offensive line scene. Turn over every rock, watch yes. every kid. I mean, I think they're really just contacting a lot of guys. I don't. I think we'll get a better idea, obviously, in the coming weeks because junior college guys sign in that new in that signing period that's from December 20th to the 22nd. So if anybody, if any JUCO offensive linemen come in for an official, we could probably pencil them in as somewhere at or near the top of their board. Yeah, I mean, for those that don't know how that's going to work, it used to be basically right about after this week, everything would go dead through the bowl season. Um, that's no longer the case as you're now – allowed official visitors all the way up through the weekend of the 18th, um, which the 20th is the signing period, the three-day signing period, 20, 21st, 22nd. Um, So now the 2nd and then the 9th and then the 16th, those three Fridays will start official visit weekends. That is why they close September to even back out the days. Everybody wondered why September was closed and that affected the Crosstown Showdown. Um, you know, high school kids weren't allowed to play games on college campuses, whatnot, and what have you. That was directly a result of December now being open all the way through the 18th, which um, it's interesting because you have to think if you're a team preparing for a bowl game, you also are going to have to have these three official visit weekends. So there's a lot on your plate if you're one of those teams that's playing in one of those early bowl games as well. Oh, Where Cincinnati, they just get to, to rock out and go full blast on official visit weekends as much as they feel necessary. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I I don't really know what else we need to to harp on on this. I mean, I I think it's just a, a skill issue at this point. On top of you know some of the other things that we talked about that, that there's concern with. I think in a lot of ways you win games, especially at the AAC level, on the outside, on the edges. Everybody, you know, games are won in the trenches. Well, that's not really the game anymore. Yeah, you want to be good on the trenches, but to be good in the trenches, I think, I, you know, talking back over that, I'd include defensive end in that speed category. Because you, you have to be able to have some speed to get to the quarterback. And if you don't disrupt the quarterback, they just sit back there and they pick you apart. And it doesn't matter how good your defensive backs are because they're not going to be able to cover for six seconds. Right. And you, you have to have that in today's game, and, and this team just didn't have it. You know, I think someone started a thread after the season about, you know, your, your kind of top three things that, you know, we, we need to address moving forward. And I think, you know, mine – what would have been, I would have said, you know, the interior of the offensive line and then playmakers. And that doesn't even yeah. necessarily mean offense. Like, they don't have playmakers. The that, they don't year? have playmakers at defensive line. They don't have playmakers at linebacker. They don't have playmakers in the secondary. You have to sack the quarterback, force him to fumble, or intercept passes to have a truly 
you know, dynamic defense in college football now. I think they intercepted five passes yeah. this year, and I, I want to say again, thir- like right around 15 sacks or under. So, and, and three of those five passes were thrown right at a defensive back. Yeah. So, like, I mean, you're, you're just – Go ahead. Like, you have you – know, you can talk about wide receivers and stuff, too, in that category, but, like, they just need more guys that can make plays. Because you're just – you're not going to – in college now, you're not going to force teams on 12-play, 80-yard touchdown drives. Yeah. Quarterback. Quarterback. You really want me to talk about this? Um, I will just say, at, at this point, I'm expecting that we'll see Hayden Moore in his senior year be the quarterback. I think there's a possibility they could look around and bring in a grad transfer. Um, I think that would, and even if it's not to win the job, to give, you know, some legit competition to Hayden um, for that, you know, senior year job. And, and that way you give Ben Bryant and potentially Yanez Rogers uh, an opportunity to redshirt, to learn the system. Um, you give Desmond Ritter another year in the program. And, and you start to get, you know, quote, unquote, Luke Fickle's guys into a position to better make an impact down the road um, as you get through this, this one more year of, of restructuring. Because, honestly, Dave, I, I'm not going to look at this team next year unless crazy things happen and think it's an eight- or nine-win team. Because I just – maybe you, you upgrade getting playmakers in some of those positions we've talked about, namely – I would say the defensive secondary because there's a lot of young guys that are on this roster uh, that are going to be chomping at the bit through spring ball to prove that, that they deserve a shot. Maybe you, you hit on a couple guys there, a, a Derek Forrest or a Kobe Bryant or Rashad Stewart. We saw Marquise Taylor um, get a little bit more action as the, the season wore on. We see Marquise Smith see some action. Christian Angulo actually um, saw quite a bit of run in the UConn game. You know, maybe the the talent on hand steps things up there. But overall, I mean, even if you do bring those guys in, they're going to be young. And they're going to need some seasoning and a year of experience. So, uh, you know, you bridge to get through this year. And and once you get through it, maybe you come out on the other side in 2019. But I don't feel like there's an easy fix. No, there's not. And I'm just – I'm anti-graduates for quarterback. I just – I just look at it as if nine times out of ten, if a guy's leaving his school, it's because he wants to play somewhere else and wasn't good enough to play at his school. So when you're kind of rebuilding the way that they are, you're not going to – I just don't see how they're going to get some grad transfer quarterbacks. It's so dynamic that they have to play him – and, you know, when he he doesn't know the system or whatever you want to say nearly as well as the quarterbacks that they currently have on the roster, I just, maybe I'm wrong, I just don't see how they're gonna, they would add someone so much better than, than what they currently have. How did Kyle Boland end up this year? Any idea? Couldn't. Kid from Louisville. You saying his name right now is the first time I heard it or saw it on Twitter or anything. Since he transferred. Since he transferred. That, I mean, and I know I think people, that, that should tell you a lot. And I know people will bring up, like, Ben Mock and Russell Wilson. Okay, great. Like, so there's, there's two grad transfer quarterbacks in the last 10 years or whenever that whole deal started that were – like really successful and Russell Wilson only transferred because Tom O'Brien is a moron and told him that he was going to go with Mike Glennon instead of him that wasn't smart no it wasn't so I mean I I know we probably 
know what we're getting with the quarterbacks that we have. Um, just personally, I wouldn't be surprised. Actually, if, if a couple of them transferred, like it, it wouldn't surprise me if Hayden or not Hayden Ross Trail and Jake Sopko transferred. Um, and I'm I'm not saying that with any knowledge, so don't anybody read into that. But you know, you have a senior quarterback who started and played virtually every snap on a four and eight season. You have a redshirt freshman in Des Ritter, and then you're bringing in one, maybe two guys that you're going to give a, a chance to play. And those were your recruits. J.P. McCurry just went YOLO. On the oh, base, that was a great pass. On the that was a great throw pass. pass all the way and across wiped, the court, and he hit the and rim. And then he wiped his hand. He wiped his no. He hit the side of the backboard. Oh, side of the backboard. Yeah. Yeah. And then he wiped his hands on their on his shorts like it was their fault. Because because that pass is a highly executable pass. He would have <laughs> he would have got it if his hands weren't wet. But back to the it quarterbacks. Slipped. <laughs> it slipped. But yeah, I mean, I I. Like, where are the snaps? So, right. you know, if if no one left, they'd have six quarterbacks. That doesn't seem roster smart. And three young guys, a redshirt freshman and two freshmen, that they're pretty high on. Right. I would agree. I I mean, I think there could you could see quite a bit of turnover. Oh, I, you think know, there, I, it, I think there will be. And, you know, again, this is not – Based on any no, knowledge, we haven't even, I mean, us you haven't talked to anybody. I mean, the season just ended on Saturday, and we've, you know, you've been covering basketball and whatnot. But, I mean, if you look at some of the position groups, guys that haven't seen the field yet that were recruited by Tommy Tuberville that are sophomores or older aren't all of a sudden going to start seeing the field. Yeah. So, I mean, some of those guys are going to look in the mirror and say, hey, I, w- I want a shot somewhere. So, I think they're, you're going to see some turnover there. We already saw Andrew Gantz move on. That clears the door for Cole Smith. Um, and, you know, that's it, kind of a tough move you hate to see because I think Andrew Gantz had a good career as a Bearcat and had some legendary moments, but he's played in, what, three games the past two seasons? Yeah, and if you're going to use a scholar, you know you can't use two scholarships on a on a kicker. No, that can't it can't be the way that it happens. And you know, there's some question why why use one on Cole Smith? I mean, he's one of the highest rated kickers in the country, and if you didn't use a scholarship on him, there's a good chance somebody was going to. Oh so yeah, kind of, you know that if you want him. Sometimes you gotta, you know, and you and you asked him to gray shirt. Going back on that scholarship now would would not look good in the court of public opinion. No, you know, obviously you wish Andrew Gantz well, and and you hate to see him leave, and hopefully, you know, everything cools over the next couple of years, and you can see him back around campus as he gets a little bit older, being a local guy. Because I really liked Andrew, um, like talking to him. He was always good to Bearcat Journal. Uh, from when Tim was here through when I've been, you know, running the football show. Um, so I'll miss him, but, uh, you know, he gets an opportunity that, that he probably wasn't going to get here because, you know, they were looking for what's next. And we saw him do something similar with Sam Geraci, who had some knee concerns, and they wanted James Smith to come in and be that guy. And, hell, you could <laughs> you could almost make the case that James Smith was the freaking MVP of the team this year. I, uh... I think he had quite a, a good go of it um, for his first time being a punter. Um, well, and I think his leg got stronger as the season went on. Yeah, I can I definitely mean, he, see that. Earlier in the year, it was a lot of 40-yarders with high hang time. As the year went on, we started to see him open it up a little bit and get some nice 45, 50-plus-yard punts that – you know, those those punts where the guy that's returning it is, is running, you know, backwards and trying to catch it over his shoulder. Um, I, I, I thought James Smith had a really good first year of American football. And, 
you know, if you're looking at two, three more years of him, you're you're in pretty good hands there. Hopefully they get the, the place kicker situation sorted out with Cole Smith. And that, you know, at least improves special teams some. We saw a few big plays allowed on special teams, but for the most part, I thought the special teams defense, both kick and punt return, was much improved. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, it didn't have too far to go to be worse. True, but, true. You know, it was uh, definitely better than it had been. And I think, you know, just going back to that whole playmaker thing, you know, finding guys to return punts and kicks that don't need it blocked up perfectly, you know, that can right. make a guy miss and then get into that gear that they can run by people and you don't have to block exactly the way that you envision it. So, and I think there's a couple freshmen that can, the incoming freshmen that, you know, given that, that they sign and everything goes the way it's supposed to, that could be an impact in that aspect next season. Agree, agree. So if we're now looking, you know, season's over, there are three more, I guess, three official visit weekends before the new signing day and then the four that are before the one in February. And I believe I'm correct in saying as of right now, there are seven spots. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. There's 18 commits right now. I yeah. Believe. So, and and I mentioned this uh, on the board. Are Ethan Tucky and Anthony Johnson in last year's class? I don't know how that works anymore. The way that they changed it, I don't believe they can be in this year's class because they're only allowing you 25. Right. There's no playing with the numbers anymore. If there's no playing with the numbers, there's no way that they should penalize you. You know retroactively on that. Right. So let's assume that they are not. And that well, they Ethan are... Tucky's a walk-on. What's that? Ethan Tucky's a walk-on. Oh, okay. Well, let's just assume that they're not in this 2018 class. Um, seven spots as of now. What are we, you know, what is your kind of roster breakdown the rest of the way. I, I I have to get some more information on that because since the two decommitments, um, I haven't really been dialed in on what exactly that looks like now. Right. You have to think with the two decommitments that it's going to be skill position guys because they were skill position guys. Right. Uh, so I, I mean, I'm I just think, saying like, you know, we don't. I know. We, I'm just I'm sure. quantifying. Calm down. I would think, you know, an outside linebacker, at least two wide receivers and maybe three. I think three. It depends on, do they want to add another, you know, what are, what are their plans at safety and corner? Um, I would say at least one, maybe two offensive linemen, probably one, but maybe two if they can find the right guys. And then, you know, a best available defensive back. Yeah, I think. Maybe a defensive lineman somewhere in there if those numbers yeah, shift I'm, a little bit. I'm thinking they might try to find, like, someone who can step in for Jalen Miner. Whether that's Maybe. a junior Maybe. college guy or a grad treat or something like that. Because. We talk about the outside guys a lot with Perry and Jarrell, but we really don't know anything about who would possibly take that spot because Miner pretty much much played every snap this year, even on passing downs. DeBlanco is the number two MLB. Right. So, you know, your number two really has never played, and then his backup has really, really never played. Right. I could see it. I mean, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting to see what these visits start to look like um, in terms of who comes in. And I think, you know, once we get to Friday or Saturday and we get a handle, um, I've heard 
rumblings of double-digit visitors this weekend. I don't know how many of those are going to be kids that are already committed. Right. I've also heard that we don't have an exact number, and Shane is still working on this, and I know he's going to have a an inside Cincinnati recruiting tomorrow, and he's going to be very unhappy that we're talking recruiting without him at the end of this podcast. But we'll have you on next week, little buddy. I promise. We haven't, we're, not, we're talking about recruiting, but we're not talking about recruiting. We're not talking about any specific players. We'll leave that oh, for Shane. I'll article. get a message. I'll get an angry text from him here this evening when this gets posted. Trust okay. me. Okay. <laughs> but um, what these what these visits look like? I, what I was going to say is, um, I have heard they they expect most, if not almost all, of the committed kids to sign of the eighteen kids to sign early. So I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of drama in that, from what I've heard. Well, that, I mean, that is kind of an interesting – I think this is going to make it interesting in the sense of if you're UC and you now have this early signing day, if you don't sign, I, I think that you're fair game to lose your spot. I, I agree. Because, Depending on who you are, right? But because they're now they're going to know where you didn't know before. Okay, we locked up all of our wide receiver targets or whatever. Everybody already signed. We don't have to spend any time right on any wide receivers in January. So you know if you didn't commit or you didn't sign they're now then going after they're not necessarily going by position they're going on best available yeah and if, if you I, I, the whole thing to me dave the whole thing is fascinating because it it, it it it's new so there's a million different things in my head that have played out on how this could could work out you know are there going to be uh, kids that that don't sign uh, that surprised like a P5 school that thought they were going to sign and all of a sudden they're back on the market. What what are the ramifications going to be? Because I think if you look around, you're seeing some decommitments, you're seeing some schools adjusting their recruiting class, you're seeing some kids adjust their recruiting process earlier than normally would have happened. Um, but I, at least initially, I think this year there's going to be a huge push, especially from the schools, for the kids that, that they really want to sign early. And that means that lead up to that second signing day could be almost, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, almost inconsequential. Well, I mean, look at it from from UC's standpoint. If they sign 25, I mean, a conservative, I mean, I think 15, 10 to 15 are going to sign early. I'd say at least. And so, that's not, you know, we're looking at there's 18 now, and the word I, I'm hearing is a, a large number of those are going to sign. Let's say 16, maybe 18. I don't know for sure yet because we don't have all of the details yet, but let, let's say 16. Let's say they get three more commits, four more commits, and those kids sign early. Right. So you're talking about you're only, you're only chasing three guys, and at that point, you're shooting for the moon. Right. Yeah. Like, you're not getting your fourth offensive lineman. You're going after commits from other schools. Right. Right. That, that's so what it's going to be really interesting. That's what I would do. I mean, yeah. If guys I got, that didn't sign. If I got 20 guys already in, in the books that I don't have to worry about for another month and a half, I'm going after, you know, I'm shooting for the moon going after every big fish I can try to get. Because if you get, if yeah. you happen to get one or two, you know you can always fill those backfill those spots with with guys that you are still recruiting. But you know why wouldn't you? Yep. So I mean, it's going to be really interesting. We'll, uh, like I said, we'll have Shane on next week to uh, recap the first official visit weekend, and that way, at that point, we'll have a um, a little bit of a roadmap on who was here. And, and get a better feel for what exactly 
they are prioritizing at this point in time. Um, and we'll rock it out the next three weeks until that initial signing day. In the meantime, basketball season rolls on strong, and here's the uh, the start of the stretch. At the yep. team across town Saturday, Florida. Boy, Florida's good. They are good. Oh, they're really, I don't know really, if they're, really good. I don't know if they're Alabama State good, but they're pretty good. Yeah, they're really, really good. Can, that I, can I just be honest about something? Uh, maybe. I totally left the game with 11 minutes to go last night because it was literally the most boring basketball game <laughs> I've ever watched. Yeah, it was not. It was not a, a great excitement. Like uh, there wasn't. There wasn't a whole lot of. Threes. It was. UC never went on one of those runs like they did in their early games. That right. Was, that they, well, made they never it exciting. got hot from three. It was just like methodically building a lead, and yeah. you could tell that certain guys were ready just to play. Saturday, and it, yeah, it was yeah. just. I'm like, I'm ready to go. <laughs> um, and then Mississippi State at home, and then UCLA. We we will find out a whole lot about this team over the next two weeks. So uh, is Mississippi State uh, under, still undefeated? Uh, I haven't looked. I don't know. Uh, All right. But, I am yeah. uh, I I am not as up on the sports as I have no. been. Um, I spent I spent about five and a half hours yesterday at the specialist with my wife, and I think we saw the doctor for like twenty two minutes. So that is that is consuming a lot of my time at the moment. <laughs> Good news is you know hopefully the numbers are improving for her and yeah. yeah. That's it, 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 trying to be as positive as possible in a, uh, a very difficult time. But her spirits are good, even when mine are a little bit uh, shaky. So, as yeah. I said, throughout this process, she is uh, – you've met Kelly. She is way tougher than me, and that is a good <laughs> that is That is a very good thing. She is way tougher than me. So um, I don't have a lot of anything else. Do you? I don't think so. All right. I'm going to watch the end of this Xavier Baylor game and see if J.P. McCura throws any more passes off the side of a backboard. That's right. We got we got a lot coming. Berg's got quite a few uh, pieces of basketball content. He's got a podcast uh, that I'm going to put up here about the same time as this. Berg and Rick Broering. I am fascinated to listen to this. Oh, great. <laughs> Berg and Rick Broering uh, on some of the history of the shootout and on the matchups. The, for this year's shootout. So this is going to be fascinating. I can't wait to hear it. Skinny podcast tomorrow. I'm on with Mo Egger tomorrow from 4 to 4.30. Um, lots of stuff coming there. Shane Kenny's got an inside Cincinnati recruiting that's coming tomorrow uh, that we will have up on the site. There is uh, a lot to do, a lot to be excited about. Berg will have a, an article on the shootout. He will also have a, uh, a video breakdown of this year's game as well as his um, that he writes for every team for the Xavier Musketeers. So Berg is working overtime. We're all working overtime and uh, cranking it into gear here into uh, as we as we head to December for what should be uh, a good couple weeks here on Bearcat Journal. So stay tuned. He's Dave Simone. I'm Chad Brendel. We'll see you next time. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com.